Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden of the Center for Chinese Studies at Stellenbosch University in Cape Town, South Africa. Kobus, how are you this afternoon? I'm great, thanks, and you? Wonderful. Well, we've got three topics today, as always, and for this show. We have something special lined up for you, uh, two incredible guests who are going to talk to us about some of the key issues of the past week. First, let's start with uh, Kathleen McLaughlin, who's a freelance journalist based out of uh, Beijing, and she has recently returned from a trip to Uganda and Tanzania, where she did some reporting sponsored by the Pulitzer Foundation, and that really made some news over the past couple of weeks uh, with respect to counterfeit malaria drugs uh, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Kathleen, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for asking me. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. And then the uh, then also joining us from Beijing, from the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, is Professor Yuan Wu, who's an assistant professor and research fellow there in the Institute of West Asian and African Studies. His research focuses on African politics, African countries' foreign relations, and crisis management in Sino-African relations. And he's also been a visiting scholar at uh, the School of Oriental Studies in London. Uh, professor Yuan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm very, very pleased to join your program. So thank you. Nice to meet you all. Great. Well, we have three topics that our panel is going to talk about today. Uh, first, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about counterfeit drugs with a focus on malaria. And this is really going to go to some of Kathleen's reporting in Tanzania and Uganda. And it's really it's hard to overstate the sensitivity and the importance of this issue. And uh, we'll get into both what uh, Kathleen found on the ground uh, in, in East Africa, but also we'll talk about the official response from Beijing and then try to kind of parse where the drugs are coming from and what this broader issue is all about. Then our second topic is going to focus on, uh, you know, more geopolitics and how Sino-African relations may be having an effect far beyond the borders of both China and Africa and having an influence on the, on the global political system as a whole. And then finally, we're going to pick up from our conversation last week where we talked about uh, volunteering in, uh, in Africa in Chinese volunteer programs. And a report came out of Beijing University that our own Tendai Musakwa uh, did a fantastic job of translating. Uh, and it's on our site at the China Africa Project. And we'll talk on with uh, Professor Yuan, Kobus, and Kathleen on that. So let's get started right away and dive right into the issue that really made some news in the past couple of weeks. Kathleen did some reporting, went to Tanzania, went to Uganda, Again, sponsored by the Pulitzer Foundation, and then from there uh, had her articles published in in, uh, publications like uh, The Guardian. Now, that prompted a pretty angry response out of Beijing. So let's get Kathleen to kind of set up the story uh, from what you found in your reporting and kind of summarize some of the key issues as it relates to specifically the malaria medications that you came across or the fake malaria medications that you came across. So basically, I I began this reporting trying to look at China's emergent health aid in Africa. China has been under pressure from international organizations to join existing international programs that deliver health aid to Africa. You know, China. we all know that China is already investing in infrastructure and all these other important projects on the continent, but um, this new health aid is has just begun. And one of the key things that I found that they have been focusing on specifically is malaria. And number one, it's a very important disease, obviously, in Africa, deadly. Uh, but also China is an expert in 
killing malaria. China developed one of the world's most effective drugs to cure malaria. So it was kind of a natural fit for them. Now, at the same time as they began engaging in this health aid, um, there was a rash of scientific reports coming out about fake drugs being dumped on the African market, particularly malaria drugs. So if you talk to experts in the global um, pirated and fake pharmaceutical trade, they will tell you that the fake pharmaceutical makers tailor their drugs to the market. So there are fake drugs everywhere in the world. In the U.S., you'll find, for example, what they call fake lifestyle drugs like Viagra. Naturally, what you're going to find in sub-Saharan Africa then are fake malaria drugs because that's the place where these unsavory drug makers can make money. That's the going disease, and that's the cure that people are looking for. So there have been, there's been a number of scientific studies of what's happening. Several papers came out in the past year, and I wanted to find out what was really happening on the ground. Um, I was quite surprised at the prevalence. I was, was actually really shocked when I started just asking people and interviewing people, and they did more than, I think in the end, I ended up with something like 56 interviews total. Um, but just, just talking to regular people in Tanzania and Uganda, asking, have you ever taken fake malaria drugs? Do you know anyone who has? And the number of people who just immediately said, yeah, of course, everyone knows about that. You know, my brother did that or so-and-so. But it wasn't just ordinary people, uh, patients, it was medical professionals. So it was astounding, um, first of all, how big the problem is and how common it is. And secondly, the lack of a proper response to the problem, both from the international community and from the governments in these countries. Um, there, I met some government officials in both Tanzania and Uganda who are trying quite, quite hard, but getting little cooperation and the problem seems to be expanding. So oh. th these stories that came out in The Guardian were kind of the initial look at the problem. Okay, so I'm going to ask the obvious question here, and then I'm going to open it up to our panel. Um, you, you know, China often gets blamed for a lot of things that it hasn't done. Um, mm -hmm. What evidence is there, I mean, concrete evidence to link uh, Chinese companies, and let's be very clear here when we say the word Chinese, that it is not automatically an implication of the Chinese government. Uh, and Absolutely okay, not, particularly no. in this field, because this, this, this industry, the fake pharmaceutical industry, is a criminal industry. So to make that leap, it's a huge leap. There is some scientific evidence, fake malaria drugs, um, in a couple of different places, but it's quite limited. The, but the key evidence here is not just China, but India. So something like 80% of all active pharmaceutical ingredients in the world, and that's every drug that's made in the world, active ingredients are made in China and India. So the components come from here. And this is actually what you've brought up is the problem, is that no one has really taken this step to finding out where the drugs are coming from, who is making them, and actually that therefore been able to make this concerted effort to try and stop the problem. But what you do have, what I found in Tanzania and Uganda that's very interesting and very important to China is a perception problem. So people in these countries are getting 
knockoff cell phones. They're getting shoes that fall apart. So they're getting kind of the shoddy goods dumped on the market. So when they encounter fake pharmaceuticals that are quite sophisticated, I mean, these things have to be made in a factory that knows what they're doing. I don't know if you saw the pictures I had, but the packaging is incredible. They look just like the real thing. In order, and so if you're a consumer in these markets and you know that you're getting products from a particular country that aren't any good, and you're hearing that maybe the drugs are coming from there, that's the assumption that people are making. So what I really found was a massive PR problem for China. There is scientific evidence that there are counterfeit drugs in Africa and Southeast Asia that were made in China. There's not enough, Mm -hmm. and there aren't enough people releasing that information and you know, working on it. I mean, I contacted drug companies, I contacted uh, government authorities who are working on it. Very few people want to talk about what sort of research is being done. And that's another interesting aspect of this is the entrenched interest in the malaria drug business and, and malaria business. Okay. Well, you're okay. So, uh, you know, Professor Yuan, you know, Kathleen's reporting from Tanzania and Uganda uh, mm-hmm. prompted a direct response from the Chinese foreign ministry. And let me read you a quote. Uh, spokesman Hua Chunying uh, said it at the daily press briefing that the accusations are unfounded, noting that the cooperation between the Chinese government and African countries has played an important role in improving the healthcare environment for people in Africa. Now, on the surface, that statement sounds like a very generic type of rebuttal. However, it may very well be true that the government-to-government health relationship between African states and the Chinese government is not infected by counterfeit pharmaceuticals. So spokeswoman Hua's statement may in fact be correct because there's a difference between what the Chinese public sector does and what the private sector, the black market, is doing. What's your thought on both on on Kathleen's reporting and this issue as a whole when it comes to the counterfeit products? From the Chinese media report, uh, according to the Chinese uh, media report, you know, uh, now there is some uh, Chinese uh, pharmaceutical uh, companies uh, have set branches in in Africa. Uh, You know, uh, Holy Cortex. This is a um, company based in Chongqing. This is the biggest uh, anti-malaria um, drugs in China producers in in China, and I think uh, some uh, fake drug, some uh, counterfeit uh, drug, is is from this this company. I think it's 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 a uh, it's very very uh, absurd. Pharma pharmaceutical companies they think uh, in in African in Africa. The medical costs of the, the African market account for one um, percent of the world of the global market. So the Chinese companies have very much confidence in African market. They, they, they. I think they will not uh, to sell some counterfeit uh, drugs to African com- African market, and it will damage the image of of the, the image and the, the reputation of Chinese pharmaceutical uh, companies. Now, that's on the official side. Now, that company obviously has no interest in producing counterfeit products. But as you know, as somebody who lives in China, um, you know, I've lived there for a long time. I live in a country now where there's fake goods everywhere. 
Um, you know, Chinese consumers themselves have to deal with both fake pharmaceuticals, fake cell phones, fake movies, fake handbags, yeah. you know, fake everything. So this is an obstacle course that even Chinese consumers have to deal with. So clearly, the official companies may not be doing it. So who is responsible for this? Uh, in I, you know, now in this uh, developmental stage, I think uh, in China, in Chinese society, there existed many problems. I think it's a it's a state problem. You know, maybe in the early uh, developmental uh, stage in uh, USA, in uh, other uh, developed countries, there also exist uh, the same problem. But uh, now the problems are improved. I think uh, now China, uh, the Chinese government and the Chinese, the Chinese society have get consensus. So, Cobus, let, let, let me pick up – sorry, Kathleen. Let me just get to Cobus very quickly here to pick up on two issues that we've heard both from Professor Yuan and from Kathleen. Uh, that, And also this was an article that came out in the Global Times newspaper, which is one of China's more nationalist-leading uh, official newspapers. Uh, Fake goods may undo China-Africa trade, written by Kenyan journalist Mark Kapchenga. We featured that as well on our Facebook page. But this image that – the public relations damage for, for China and Africa is huge on this. And also just, you know, when something's fake and it shows up in Africa, well, the immediate assumption is to link it to China. You know, this is a, a theme that you and I have come back to for, for years now on the show. Um, how significant is that? I think this is quite significant. I think it's significant in two ways. In the first way, obviously, as you said, China has a, an image problem in terms of, of counterfeit goods generally. You know, kind of so, uh, you know, people people tend to paint all of Chinese products with that same brush. I think at the same time, it also shows you that China has a, a wider branding problem. You know, kind of the fact that, that China is associated with fake goods doesn't also excuse the fact that the Chinese haven't been able to make more of the fact that they found that they managed to develop you know, groundbreaking malaria medication in the first place. You know, kind of which I and I mean I, I read quite a lot about China and Africa and you know this is you know when I started reading about about the, the drugs and the malaria treatments, that was the first that I realized that this is actually a Chinese invention, a new a whole new malaria treatment. Um, you know, kind of so I think that there's two problems there. It's not only the counterfeit drug problem, it's a wider problem of managing the branding of China Inc. You know, kind of in the international world, um, and that I think, yeah, I think you see you see that all over. You know, kind of where, where for example, people can't name a single Chinese brand. Um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, I think I think that's a bigger problem. Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, one interesting aspect of this story to me is I I, I interviewed a public health expert in um, Western Tanzania who I'm sorry in, in Uganda who um, made a very interesting point, which was. This whole problem is based on the decision to solve malaria problems. Okay, so we're losing Kathleen there very quickly, but Professor Ed, let me go to you, and hopefully Kathleen's connection can come back. How much of this is, you know, China's chickens coming home to roost here, that without an effective intellectual property rights legal system, uh, that China has benefited enormously over the past 25 years of its own development, well, the fact that there isn't a legal mechanism now to, to properly and effectively contain piracy in the courts in China, it's allowed to continue rampant, and it affects, as we've talked about, both domestically, it's a big problem, but now internationally. So... 
if these drugs are in fact linked to China, what legal action could ever be taken in China? In China, the government has、uh, called for the companies to、uh, set up some system like certification of their goods. They will maybe uh, uh, take some. They ask the companies to take some steps to uh, for uh, to against uh, for uh, against fake drugs. But、uh, the the concrete steps, I I, I don't know.、Uh, I didn't get the the、uh, concrete information. Yeah, I mean, Cobus. I think that comes down to the real crux of the problem: is what what can people do? I mean, you find these pharmaceuticals, you find these drugs, you find any, you know the fake cell phones, anything, and there's really no recourse for the consumer. We had one、uh, person on our Facebook page comment the fact that he spent five hundred dollars on a fake iPhone five and wanted a refund. And who is going to pay him back? Who do you go to for the refund?、Right? Yeah, I mean, what do you do? So, Kathleen, what what are the options here to actually stop this and to to? Well, and to... that's the problem. That's what I was trying to get at when I when I cut out was that there are so many entrenched interests here. I mean, the the the, the notion that curing malaria can be done through pills is is a notion that has really been perpetuated by Western aid groups to begin with. So you have this idea that instead of getting rid of the mosquitoes, although they're working on that now as well, but really this this notion that if we give everyone malaria drugs, we're going to save all these lives. First, you have that entrenched idea. So Western aid groups aren't particularly interested in investigating the source of these drugs and finding out what's going on.、Um, the, the governments in these countries have so many other things going on. At the moment, and so many corruption and funding issues, they don't have the ability to figure it out.、Um, and then, what's in in my mind? It is it is primarily in China's interest to figure this out because they have, in a lot of ways, the most to lose.、Um, this is becoming a massive image problem for them because you're no longer talking just about cell phones; you're talking about people's lives. You're talking about people actually dying. There was a, a case while I was in Tanzania, and this did not involve a Chinese company. But just to give you an idea on fake drugs, there was a case with、um, fake antiretrovirals. Those are for people with HIV and AIDS. And so, in that instance, you can be killing people. This is no longer talking about consumer goods. You're talking about things that can kill people. So, I would say that China right now has the most to gain. By taking action on this, and they probably have the best means and、um, and and most effective ability to do it of anyone. So, I think Interpol has looked into this problem before on fake medications. They didn't come up with much effective. They came up with some ideas, but really, the Chinese government, which does stand to lose the most image-wise. Stands in the best position to take some action and figure out where these drugs are coming from. You know, Cobus. I guess that's why I'm a little disappointed in the foreign ministry's response to to Kathleen's reporting into this issue here, which is that straight up denial that no, nothing's wrong, everything's fine. Instead of kind of recognizing that, as Kathleen said, China has the most at stake here. Obviously, beyond the people who are who are suffering on the ground by consuming fake pharmaceuticals, but that there doesn't seem and it doesn't seem to be a Chinese characteristic to admit that kind of. Mistake and that kind of well, it's not a mistake, but to admit those shortcomings in, in what's happening,、uh, 
Um, you know, just give me some final thoughts on this issue as we move forward. But there's a lot at stake here for China's brand, as you said, but also for the fact that millions of people seem to be suffering. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. You know, the Chinese government needs to work out ways in which they can respond to these kind of allegations in a more nuanced way. What for me was craziest was, I don't know if you saw, but People's Daily had kind of a response or, you know, a counter article to all of this where they they talked about this attempt by a a British media organization to fabricate (laughs) the story. I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you, (laughs) Coben. I just, I want to go on the record that I didn't do that. There may have been another person working for a British media organization in Tanzania at that moment who did that, but um, it didn't happen involving me. I, I'm, and if I was going to come up with it, first of all, there was no need to do something like that. It's not difficult to find fake drugs in Tanzania. It's it's really easy. Um, but, I mean, you know, I obviously wouldn't do that. That's, it, it was just kind of silly. But, I, I mean, I have to say, I don't, I'm reading... You know, these stories that, that People's Daily and the Global Times and the story that came out, I actually read this as a very positive sign because it means that they are taking notice and they're talking about yeah. it and they're acknowledging that there's a problem. And to me, that's a hugely positive step. And it's part of the broader yeah, I mean, theme. We just ignored it. Yeah. yeah, and it's part of the broader theme that we've seen in the Chinese media over the past few months, recognizing that corporate social responsibility and how local businesses must adhere to domestic laws in Africa. Um, there is some pressure and public pressure coming from the government to to do that. So I think, to your point, it's it's correct. But it's understandable also the growing outrage in Africa, and, and it's not. And we should also be clear here that this isn't just in Africa. This is a global business for the for, for Chinese and Indian exporters that I think people in Southeast Absolutely. Asia and in South America and most, most developing countries are suffering from this as well. So um, I really, really recommend that you check out uh, Kathleen's reporting. You can see all of the, the articles. They're listed at pulitzercenter.org. Do a search for China's aid in Africa, good intentions mixed with bad drugs. And there's a whole series of, of reports there that were published in The Guardian and some other publications as well. But it's really uh, some fantastic journalism. This is also an issue that we've been following on our Facebook page. Uh, Anne Schur, who's in Beijing, is our community manager, and she's been kind of organizing conversations about this. And you're, you, you, you see the anger and the frustration that people have. And they, 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 they open their fire, not just at uh, these Chinese pharmaceuticals, but on China as a whole. And to Professor Yuan's point, it really is a very vulnerable spot for China. And, and, and I do hope that the government does take, a, as Koba said, a more nuanced approach. Let's move on to our second subject here. Uh, this is a, a broader p- discussion of China-Africa relations, and this was an article that came out last week in African Business at AfricanBusinessMagazine.com, how the Sino-African relationship is influencing the rest of the world. Now, I assume that if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you already believe in the importance of the Sino-African relationship, and you, like me, sit there and tell everybody about how important important it is and they don't get it. Well, this article really sums it up very, very concisely, uh, which basically says, it's an article by Aya Imai, 
that it is having a much bigger impact on geopolitics. Uh, we're seeing now with the events in Mali and obviously in Algeria recently that uh, Africa is taking center stage and the fact that China has such a profound presence across the continent now is really kind of shifting the debate to be what is China's role in, in international issues. Cobus, we, we, we saw China in the middle of the South Sudan-Sudan diplomatic relationship. We now see uh, China is the largest trading partner for South Africa. China is affecting the natural resource prices that come out of Africa on the global commodity markets. This article really does paint a picture uh, that, that the Sino-African relationship is far more than just a bilateral you know, country-to-region relationship. Yeah, and I think that one of the main points of the article is that the the relationship between China and Africa, and particularly China's um, approach to making deals and making and building relationships with Africa, is, is providing a new kind of model um, for other foreign governments to build relationships relationships with Africa um, outside of the what you know what's usually called the Washington Consensus. Um, and she you know she does uh, she raises very interesting examples of um, of the kind of influence that, that China's relationship with Africa has has on um, East Asia's relationship with Africa. Um, now, obviously, Japan and South Korea had long, relatively long relationships with Africa, especially Japan. But now she's been pointing out different kind of ways that Japan and South Korea has been following China's lead, um, not necessarily in, in you know in, in working with China, but in following similar kind of approaches. So, for example, setting up big summits, you know, kind of to discuss aid and setting up, um, you know, kind of aid funds and, you know, kind of, uh, in the case of Japan, setting up um, export processing zones in, in Zambia. So it's, it's all very interesting, you know, kind of to see that, that China is in a way building a new way of, of, of making these relationships. Professor Yuan, this is really an, uh, you know, a topic of discussion that, that is, is absolutely relevant to the work that you do at, uh, in Beijing. Tell us a little bit about you know, Beijing's you – know, is there a goal to reshape the global political system or is China just behaving in its own real politic, you know, in national interest? And if the system changes, so be it. So, you know – you mean uh, just uh, China? You, you just mentioned uh, China will reshape the global economic system. I think it, it, it's not true. So you know, uh, I, I think China is the beneficiary of the international, the present international system. You know, uh, China catched the opportunity of the globalization, and uh, China become the second biggest uh, economy. So I think uh, China is beneficiary. Uh, he is not the loser. So in this uh, in this system uh, in this uh, international system, I think China ha- didn't have motive to uh, to change change something. Change, uh, but uh, about final African relations, I, I think someday. Uh, I just from the article uh, you recommend to 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 me. Someday, uh, some scholars have uh, discussed about final African relations. Have. Uh, some influence on the rest of the world, but they didn't see how China changed uh, change Africa. Because, you know, uh, before 2000 years, Africa was abandoned by the international community. It is at the edge of the, uh, the uh, globalization. So the engagement with intensive engagement, uh, China, uh, with the engagement, uh, intensive engagement uh, between China and Africa, uh, Africa has 
been uh, attached much more important by the uh, other continent like uh, Western Europe, like uh, USA. So this is the, 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 the role I think China has played in, in Africa. Uh, in the future, I mean, uh, looking forward to the future, how does China play uh, their role in, in Africa or, or in the world? I think it depends on its identity. This identity, it, it depends on uh, how does China uh, look on the world. Uh, I mean, uh, identity, you are a developed country like Western countries or like uh, Japanese, Japan, like uh, USA, or you are the developed country, uh, you are, you are uh, the uh, developing country like India. Mm-hmm. This, uh, I think this is the, uh, uh, the motives for the uh, China, for the uh, China uh, future action uh, towards, uh, towards Africa. I think uh, from the point of my view, I think China uh, should identify itself as uh, the biggest uh, developing power not the, the, the international power, because I think China uh, didn't have capability to undertake such uh, important uh, responsibility. So uh, from the identity of the developing, the biggest developing power, I think China will undertake uh, some responsibility, like uh, I think China will have common, have much more common uh, identity with uh, Africa. I love this this article. This was my third reporting trip to East Africa in the last 18 months or so. And you can see the competition. I mean, the, the Chinese engagement in this part of the world has made the rest of the world pay attention, in, in my view, um, and particularly on issues like aid. I mean, it has made, you see a lot of emergent now Western aid organizations that know that the old model is broken and they're looking at new ways to do things. And I think that has a lot to do with this, you know, the notion that China is doing things differently. They're pushing other people to do, or or other entities to do things differently. The thing that still continues to surprise me, though, is the lack of um, available, or the lack of interest from Western companies in Africa, and not just resource extraction and things like that. But, I mean, I had, I was there, I had my little uh, MacBook Air with me. I had people stopping me on the streets complimenting my computer. They have a huge potential on that market there. Yeah. China realizes that, but it seems like Western um, companies haven't quite gotten that yet. It'll be interesting to see when they do. Well, it may be actually too late. Cobus, this is something that you and I talked about when we said, is it too late for the U.S. to catch up? You know, there's a growing awareness in Paris, London, and Washington uh, that uh, that China's lead may become insurmountable. Um, I don't think I don't I don't subscribe to Kathleen's optimism that the aid business has the ability to change only in part because I think the aid business is just simply too large and there's too many vested interests. I don't think the whole business the business as a whole is changing, but there's a few new organizations trying to do things. Differently. Sure, but I think the UN system, the EU system, the USAIDs of the world um, are simply too ingrained in their own bureaucracies to have a, a sufficient flexibility to adapt rapidly enough to the changing marketplace in Africa for aid, for example, to compete with the Chinese. Um, I also think that the Americans and the Europeans are not building products for the developing markets. They don't see enough profit margin, whereas the Chinese and Indians recognize that, you know, you sell everything for a 2% profit and you sell enough of it and you can make a lot of money. Ford doesn't see that. 
Um, you know, and so 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 this is kind of touching on some larger issues, Cobus, that we've talked about, which is, you know, will China for better or for worse for Africa, you know, not all of this, as we talked about with the pharmaceuticals, is necessarily a good thing. That, you know, China's dominance in, in trade, um, as Jacob Zuma said, is unsustainable. Uh, China's dominance in certain sectors in, in the natural resource and, and extraction areas is becoming quite significant. And this tributary relationship that might be forming between a, a huge, large power and a small power um, may not be sustainable or even for the long-term benefit of Africa. What's your thought, Kobus? Yeah, I think, um, yes. You know, kind of a, a few things. Um, in the first place, I think this it, it might be a historical stage. You know, kind of, um, I'm I'm not necessarily I don't necessarily agree with with people like Martin Jacques. You know, kind of saying that um, that China's going to develop this 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 kind of big system of of, of a whole bunch of tributary states. I think what what for me seems to make more sense is that. The, the the because uh, the kind of uh, distinction between developed countries and developing countries are breaking down thanks to countries like like China, who um, as Professor Yuan pointed out is both developing and giving aid, um, and obviously you know South Korea is is also in a similar situation. You're going to see a lot more bit more complicated relationships with all between all these different countries. So you know I I think. Um, Perhaps the relationship between Africa and China is a precursor for a, a more complicated relationship between Africa, individual African countries and Brazil and, you know, different new emerging powers in Europe, you know, Australia and so on and so on, you know, kind of um, where it's just we're just going to see more relationships between more countries. That that might be one thing. I think I also agree with you that in that the it seems to me that U.S., the U.S. generally and, and particularly U.S. companies seem to be missing the boat a little bit. You know, you saw that a lot in the discussion this week that took place when, you know, an ex-executive of Apple was saying that Apple needs to make a $100 um, iPhone. Um, and then Apple very quickly came back and said, no, they very much plan to stay in the $500. You know, yeah. kind of well, that's not, a, Apple's that's, never been a mass yeah. market company. And so, I mean, no, you'll never, no. you'll never see an Apple store in Kampala, in my view. I mean, I, I just don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't think and, you... And I mean, and... And even if they do go for that now, because I, I agree, I think there is a massive amount of money to be made there. But even if they do do that now, you know, they, they, they'll be running after Huawei, basically. That's know? right. I mean, um, so it, it might be too late. Well, the article is How the Sino-African Relationship is Influencing the Rest of the World. Uh, it's gotten rave reviews from our panel. It's a very interesting article by Aya, Aya Imai in African Business at AfricanBusinessMagazine.com. Okay, let's move on to our third and final topic. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is really a continuation of our conversation last week on uh, NGO and Chinese government-run volunteer programs. Uh, Tendai Musakwa, who is uh, a member of the China-Africa Project, he's doing his P. PhD at Fudan University in Shanghai. He undertook a, a translation of an article written by three members of the Beijing University faculty, and I'll just kind of detail who they are. Wang Xiaozhi, who's a professor of international relations at, Pe at Beida, Huang Lijie, a PhD student in the Department of International Relations, and Liu Haifeng, who is the deputy director of the Africa Research Center at Beida. Now, they wrote this article which basically highlights, again, the shortcomings of China's government-run volunteer program. And the headline is basically, 
it's not very effective. <laughs> um, you know, aid and this type of development is still something relatively new. Professor Yuan, let me go to you. Uh, these are, if I understand correctly, one of them is your former colleagues, Huang Lijir, I think you said. Uh, you were, or is it Liu Haifeng who you worked with? Yeah, Liu Haifeng is my, my colleague. Okay. Uh, Liu uh, Talk to us a little bit about this idea that uh, you know Chinese government-run government volunteer programs in, in Africa may not be as effective as, say, other government-run programs like the Peace Corps or VSO or some of the others uh, you know, that are participating uh, in Africa. Public diplomacy is, is a very, very important area for a country. So sometimes now the people, when they uh, talk about the public diplomacy, I think they just, just thought that China has ever have never uh, have uh, public diplomacy. It, it, it's not uh, it's not true. So you know, in 1950s and uh, 1960s, we we call civil diplomacy. Civil di- diplomacy uh, uh, it's it's an important policy of of China because at that time. China was isolated from the international community. So at that time, uh, China, uh, China carried out many uh, civil uh, diplomacy. But in, I think in 1980s and in 1990s, at that time, uh, uh, with, the situation, with the change of the international situation, in 1990s, the, the civil society, the opinion of the civil society has emerged and become an, an important perception. So I have uh, get some information. Now the government has promoted uh, the Chinese NGOs uh, to go out, like the companies, because I think China realized the soft power is very important for the country. This is the, 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 the motives of, do you know, uh, Confucius uh, College. Yep, the so like that, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like that, I think the next step, China will will uh, take some uh, active steps to promote the development of uh, public diplomacy. Like uh, they will promote the exchange views between uh, Chinese civil society and foreign civil society, and uh, some in uh, academic academic exchange, like that. You know, Kathleen, what what surprised me about this article, and it's available on our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com, was, and this this is something to your point about, at least there's a discussion that's starting to happen in China right now, or I'm not sure if you or Kobus made this point, was there's acknowledgement and there's some humility here that it's not working very well. And, And I think that at least that is the first step to actually correcting um, what is arguably an ineffective system, and then the, that the authors of this, of this study suggested that China partner with other international NGOs and benefit from their experience uh, definitely seems like a step in the right direction. I would think so. I mean, I, I read the article and I read some of the interviews with some of the, some of the volunteers that were also out there, and I think you're exactly right. I'm not normally so optimistic but it seems to me that in this particular area, in the China-Africa relationship, there seems to be a whole lot of room for discussion that we don't see in a lot of other parts of uh, Chinese policy. So, I, I mean, I agree with you. The fact that the, that the report came out, that they're talking about it, that they're acknowledging that there's a problem and looking at steps to change it could be, you know, hugely important. Let's hope it keeps going in the right direction. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what interest they would have to not take it in the right direction because again it gets back to that PR problem. 
Well, it just could be incompetence too that they just don't do it well. <laughs> I mean, let's not let's not underestimate the Chinese government's ability to mess things up. So, um, you, you know, Cobus, it seems like there's this really healthy discussion going on in places like the Chinese Academy for Social Sciences at Beijing University, uh, within the you know the Chinese social media. Um, you don't get any of that in the both the Western press and also in Africa that, that at least this discussion is happening. You know, this seems very healthy. And what Tendai is doing for us is by translating this, he's bringing this into the conversation. But right now, if you look through the African media and certainly the Western media, you would have no idea that this type of kind of soul searching is going on in Beijing. Yeah, I think, you know, kind of the the language barrier there is almost 100% total. You know, it's, um, the fact that this discussion is taking place in Chinese, in Chinese academic institutions, pretty much cuts it off from almost all of the Western media. Um, and I think, you know, there's lots of, of, um, of stereotypes about what, um, what Chinese universities are like, um, and you know, and probably also just a lot of not thinking about what Chinese universities are like, or which which of them actually exist. So I think this this the, the very fact that it's being translated is fantastic. You know, kind of it just opens up a whole new a whole new window. What was particularly interesting for me, and actually quite funny for me in reading this, was that. You know, they made clear that that the different different agencies within the Chinese government have different views of what the, what this kind of public diplomacy is supposed to do, and then also the you know kind of and, and one of the one of where they do come together is about, around this idea that that it's very important to, in, to increase cultural understanding. Um, and then when you actually speak to the Africans, they're like, yeah, we're not really so interested in cultural understanding. We're more interested in like actual hard skills, like kind of welding and, you know, mechanics and computers and so on, you know. So that was just so interesting for me. It's so, so rare that that's actually articulated. Well, there, you know, Kathleen, we've just found your next reporting assignment, which is to actually bring to light for the Western media all this great discussion that people like Professor Yuan are having in Chinese to the to the rest of the world. So you can say at least there's a discussion happening. So there you go. Well, listen, that is – oh, final thoughts, Kathleen. Go ahead. I'll give the last word to you. Oh, the last word? Well, I, I mean, I'll just reiterate what I said earlier, which is that there are huge problems out there, particularly in the in the counterfeit medication arena. I mean, that's – that's something that is incredibly serious, but I am very optimistic that people are talking about it. That's a huge step forward. For once, we're actually ending the show on, on a positive note. Cobus, let's take note of that for the record books. Um, that, is, uh, that, that is all the time we have for this week. I want to thank everybody for joining us, particularly Professor Yuan for the, 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 from the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences and Kathy McLaughlin, who's written some fantastic reporting and done some fantastic reporting from uh, Tanzania and Uganda. Listen, if you want to participate in, in our discussion, we have an amazing Facebook community that's out there, over 35,000 strong. Almost 60 to 70 percent in that range is uh, our African, uh, 18 to 24-year-olds, actually. So this is a fantastic conversation to have with the people who are involved in these issues. So we'd love to see you participate on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Uh, and Cobus, myself, and Tendai are updating the page uh, every day, multiple times throughout the day with some of the key issues. We've posted uh, links to Kathleen's reporting uh, we posted Tendai's translations that he's doing now of Chinese social media about 
uh, Sino-African relations. So that's one of the only places you'll get that. You can also follow Tendai's work uh, over on the China Africa Project website at ChinaAfricaProject.com. And I'd also like to welcome the newest member to our little team, uh, Karina Lagardi, who's a master's candidate at the University of Oklahoma doing a master's in international development. And she's hopefully going to go on to do a PhD in China-Africa relations. She's going to start writing for us on uh, Chinese oil interests in, in Africa, particularly in places like Angola and Sudan. So start looking for her work. So we, we're really excited to have her on board. Finally, if you'd like to follow us on your mobile phone, you can download the app in Google Play on the Android Marketplace. Kathleen, do you have an Android phone by any chance? I do not. Oh, do you have an Apple phone? I do. Okay. Well, next week, the <laughs> Apple Store is tells me they're going to approve our uh, our iPhone app, so you can download, uh, so you can get the iOS app next week, uh, and that has our Twitter feeds, it has our Facebook, it's got the links to the podcast show, and of course, if you want to listen to the show on demand, we post it on Facebook, you can listen, uh, subscribe on iTunes, leave a comment for us, we're always happy to get the feedback, uh, also on SoundCloud and Stitcher, so all the places you can listen to it. So thank you so much for listening to today's show. We'll be back again next Sunday with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.